All right, everyone. Welcome back to My Story Weaves Our Story. Just to recap, My Story Weaves Our Story is a virtual diversity panel that represents and reflects the unique experiences, perspectives, and viewpoints of the people in the communities of MPC service area. This series will serve as a space for people from different populations within our community to make their voices heard and to give others an opportunity to learn from their perspectives. So we are your host. I am Gabriel, and this is my lovely co-host. Um, yes, thank you so much, Gabriel. I'm so excited to join you uh, and co-host with our wonderful um, experts today. All right, so in, on this edition of this podcast series, we are gonna be talking to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, and we have some amazing panelists. Um, and we're gonna introduce ourselves. Uh, I'd like everyone to go around and say their name and a fun fact about themselves. And just to be fair, Tina and I will do that as well. So I'll go first. Um, like I said, my name is Gabriel. And a fun fact is that my fiance and I, we just started fostering kittens. So in addition to having uh, a big German shepherd and a, a big rescue dog, we have a, a rotating door of small felines coming through and. It's in this room right now, so I don't think he's in here. But if you know things get knocked over, it's not a ghost. It's it's probably our our kitten Snoopy in the background. Oh, um. So I am Tina Stevens Colbreth, and I uh, work with the Warren Coalition, and um, I'm the Resilience Coordinator. Uh, one fun fact about me is that um, I am a breast cancer survivor and so pink is I wear a lot of pink but my favorite color actually is purple so I've kind of um, you know rotate my wardrobe around the two um, so that's a fun fact about me yes Tina you are you are a fighter and you are often uh, wearing pink and you are a great representation of that um, and we're always glad that you're still here with us. Um, and Amanda, I'll toss it up to you. Hi, I am Amanda. Um, a fun fact about me is I enjoy running and I am going to be in a turkey trot on Saturday. Nice. I, I, I see that is a smart way to get ahead of all the things that will probably be, you know, shoved in your mouth and you know, in your stomach around Thanksgiving. And I, I never get ahead of that problem. So that's a smart way to do that. <laughs> All right, Michaela, what about you? Hi, my name is Michaela. And a fun fact about me is that I actually, in my spare time, volunteer at the local cattery um, near my apartment. So I love meeting fellow cat lovers. Um, and actually fostering kittens is next on my list. Just have to convince my boyfriend um, to do that. But um, yeah, that's what I love to do in my spare time. Well, Michaela, I was on the opposite side of wanting to foster the cats. I was vehemently opposed to it. Okay. And I was finally convinced. And now I'm probably the one who's, you know, doing a little bit more of like, oh, we should get more. So uh, <laughs> I love that. That's inspiring. If you need a, if you need a, a, a firsthand account, just, just, just let me know. Totally. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> Hello, my name's Lizzie. Um, a fun fact about me to follow the trend of everyone else. I also love animals. And back home, I work at a veterinarian clinic. 
I love this theme. I love this theme. We got turkeys, we got cats. We just, just animal theme all the way. <laughs> all right. So thank you guys for sharing those fun facts. Um, I'm glad we're a little bit more acquainted with each other. It's already nice to see that we have so much in common. Um, but to get started, we have a, a series of questions that we want to ask. Um, we want to, everyone to have a chance to answer. So what we're going to do is we are going to pose a question and then we'll let our panelists go around and answer one at a time before moving on to the next question. So I'm going to give up to Tina because I believe she has the first question for you guys. So tell us your story. Who are you? And give us a short bio of your life in three to five minutes. So uh, do your best to kind of um, share who you are and your life in about three to five minutes. And if you go over, that'll be okay too. We'll start with Amanda. Okay. Uh, yes, I am Amanda. I am 36 and I am married uh, to a wonderful man named Mark. Uh, we have been together for 13 years and married for eight. Uh, we have a five-year-old son named Camden and we have a Jack Russell Beagle named Ovi. We live in Luray, Virginia, so tiny little small town here in the Shenandoah Valley. I have I say lived here all my life. Uh, my family moved here when I was four. Uh, we moved from Manassas Park, so I don't really remember living there. Um, my first memories are here in Luray. So um, even though my, my family is a transplant, I feel like I was born and raised here in Luray. So I say born and raised. Um, a little bit about my culture and my um, heritage. I am Japanese. Um, my dad is half Japanese. His parents um, met during the war. So my grandfather was stationed in Okinawa. He um, was in the Air Force. So he was stationed at the Air Force base there. And he met my grandmother and she was 18 at the time. Um, and she had an arranged marriage, of course, and in that culture they do often. So they fell in love despite language barriers. Uh, they didn't even speak the same language at the time when they met. Um, after my grandfather's deployment, they moved back to the United States and had my dad and he's, he has two brothers as well. So I have two uncles. And um, then my dad lived in Dover, Delaware, and then he moved to Manassas and met my mom. And then we moved, moved to Luray. I am the youngest of five siblings. So I'm from a very big family. Um, but that's just a little bit about me. I am a kindergarten teacher. I teach kindergarten at Luray Elementary, which is the exact same elementary school that I went to. I went full circle. That is such rich history, you know, and speak like it's an emphasis in the word history, you know, kind of like your family lineage. And I have had the pleasure of meeting her son, Camden, 
um, at the rec and the ray, and he is just the cutest kid ever. Um, so that that's always a pleasure just to see that. Thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing. All right, Michaela. Hello, my name is Michaela, and I am 25 years old. Uh, I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I was adopted at six months old um, from Seoul, South Korea, and I did grow up in West Michigan in Grand Rapids all of my life, um, and I have a mom, a dad, and two older siblings, and they're actually biological. That, to me, um, I was the youngest, um, and that we have a five- and seven-year age gap. Um, so after my parents had my sisters, they wanted to adopt. And that's where I came in. Um, the community that I was raised in uh, was predominantly a very Dutch area. So uh, my, my mom is actually Dutch. She's originally from Canada and she moved uh, to Michigan to be with my dad. Um, and so I grew up in a very close knit uh, tight community, but the one thing that was lacking was diversity. Um, and so that being said, my parents really did raise me and were very supportive in investing um, a lot of time and, and effort in making sure that I learned a lot about my background and my culture. Um, I did a lot of like little summer day camps growing up. Um, I actually did one called Heritage Camp, um, which is basically a nonprofit support group that um, brings all of the adopted families um, of international children together. Um, and it's all volunteer run as well, too. And so growing up, I was always a part of that, which was awesome. I got to meet people that were like me. Um, so that made me really feel special. Um, and I look back on that and that was a great moment for me growing up. Um, and then I never really realized the lack of diversity in my community until I moved to New York City um, after high school. So that was my first experience moving away from home um, and being in obviously the huge city of New York. And um, it was there that I really felt um, like I belonged because there was just so many people of different races on the subway that I worked with. And it just felt really cool to see all that diversity, especially just coming from um, a small town. So um, I did live in New York for a while to pursue a fashion career. And um, I moved to Nashville because I'm remote and I've just been loving traveling all over the place. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Oh. Awesome. That is awesome. I, I love the fact that your parents, you know, took the time and effort um, to, to give you an opportunity to learn more um, about, you know, your culture. Um, I'm also, well, I'm, I'm a New York native. I grew up in New oh, York City cool. and I kind of had, I resonate with your, your nice. background, um, going from one place where there's a lot of diversity and then moving to the Shenandoah Valley where there's diversity, but it's a different diversity um, and just not, um, you know, having the same environment and kind of trying to find your way um, and also explore new things. And it, 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 I think has made me a more well-rounded person. So I love really all great. the different facets of your life. And now you're in Nashville, which is awesome. Yes. One of the best up and coming cities. So yes. I'm super excited for you. Thank you so I, much. Yes. And I'm really glad that your family was intentional in keeping mm -hmm. connected. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I look back on, too, that, like, I didn't really notice it when I was younger, but then growing up, you look back on it and you remember all those core memories of them. You know, I did a day camp, I remember, um, where it was like where I learned some Korean language and mm -hmm. um, just being able to go into like a multicultural festivals where it was all, you know, all these different backgrounds coming together. They took me to those. And so um, it really shows how much, you know, effort that they put into raising me, which I appreciate now, obviously, looking back. Very intentional. And I'm guessing you'll do the same for your children as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And it, it really, I think looking back, it makes me want to adopt now too, seeing how, you know, my parents nurtured me and everything. And so, um, yeah, they, they definitely did a great job with that. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to get too distracted, but I, 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 sometimes I feel like, you know, knowing more about your history, it's fulfilling in a way that maybe it's like something you didn't know you were missing sometimes. And it's not that you were missing it, but it was, it's just cool to know. I even just got a DNA test recently and that gave me solace that I didn't even know I was looking for. So that was, it's just cool. And I, I'm just glad to hear, like, like Tina said, uh, your parents were intentional. And I think that's amazing. Lizzie, too. All about you. Share your story. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Lizzie. I'm currently a first year at the University of Virginia, um, but I was born and raised in Luray, Virginia. Um, I am half white and half Chinese. My mom was also born and raised in Luray, and my dad is from Hong Kong and immigrated to the U.S. around the age 14. Um, him and his family um, opened up a restaurant in Luray called Brown's, uh, which is a Chinese American restaurant. It was open for almost 50 years. Um, it was a really vital part of my childhood being where, where it had like chow mein and cheeseburgers on the same menu, which is like two different parts of my identity combined. Um, but more about me, um, I, while at UVA, I have joined um, CSA, Chinese Student Association, and it's really been a great experience being able to like reconnect with my culture while being here. I envy your childhood just off of the fact of those cuisine choices alone. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness, that would have been a problem. Uh, so second question, in general, what different experiences have you encountered in your life due to your background and what obstacles have you overcome? Amanda, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, so I am super jealous of Michaela's um, heritage camp and um, a family that was very connected to her culture. Um, I feel like I grew up with the opposite. Um, my father was first generation immigrant and being raised, he wanted to fit in so badly. I mean, he's told us stories of lying about who his mom was, so he wasn't bullied or picked on. So with that, he raised us with almost zero influence um, of our Japanese culture. I mean, we definitely still ate a lot of food, uh, Japanese food, and um, that was all brought in. and. We all had kimonos and things like that, but uh, a lot of the heritage was was taken out of our childhood just because they wanted us to fit in um, so badly that we didn't get to study it or learn about it. So I am really sad for that. And just as we were talking, it does feel like a little bit is missing and I want to know more. I still want to go to Japan. I've never been, so I want to go. Um, so now this is all starting, my gears turning, like how am I gonna start learning more? How am I gonna teach my son more about um, his culture? 
So that um, that's gotten me going now. Um, but growing up, I did have a lot of, you're not from around here, are you? And what are you? I still get that. Um, people will say it and they'll say, I, I don't mean to offend you or I mean this in the nicest way possible, but what are you? I'm like, I am a woman. I am a mother. I am a wife. I'm a Christian. I'm a teacher. What, what do you mean? What am I? So um, they don't mean to be offensive, but it, it is confusing, um, you know, when, when you don't see a, a lot of the diversity around here. So that's something that I have overcome, um, just trying to educate people on a nice way to ask about somebody's heritage or their background. Um, so I think that growing up in the small town, there aren't many Asian Americans here. There was um, one girl that I grew up with, and her family was Chinese. And everyone asked, are you sisters? Are you sisters? It's like, she's, I'm Japanese. She's Chinese. It's different. It's very different. And nobody really understood that. And we realized when we got into high school that we were in class together every single year that we were in elementary school. And we thought, I think they did that on purpose. So they wanted us to be able to be together because we were the only two Asian American people at our school at the time. So just little things like that where you think, man, a, a small town really has no diversity at all. Mm-hmm. And thanks for sharing um, yeah. and lack of your experience. Um, with your heritage, can you tell me a little more about the sadness or the feelings and where you feel those feelings when you think about not having the fuzzy memories like Michaela? Yeah, definitely. Um, just being able to connect. And I mean, I was very, very close with my grandmother. She, she passed away um, very close with her. And that was a plan that we had once I graduated from high school was she was going to take me on a trip to Japan and we were going to see her hometown and where she went to high school. And this was right before she got sick. So I was never able to go. So that's something that that brings me a lot of sadness is that I I've never gotten to go and and see where she grew up and really connect with that side of of who I am. I mean, it's not just who what I look like, but it's it's a lot of who I am. Um, And I just I've never tapped into that and I've never really studied it or or tried to reach out. So I I'm planning on it now. That's awesome. And I, it's, you know, the United States is weird because we pride ourselves on be, being like a, a melting pot and assimilating. But like, I think a lot of times that assimilation is like kind of harsh and it's kind of forced. And I know a lot of immigrants have talked about um, that before, you know, a shame that it comes to, you know, trying to present themselves or be uh, taken seriously as American, whatever that means. Um, and then being from a small town and being like a very, very small emphasis on minority of, of the population, 
Like, I mean, and I'm sure some of it you kind of just kind of got used to and realized that people may be well-intentioned and it's just something you'd have to deal with. But I, I feel like answering or uh, having to answer those questions over and over probably got, you know, irritating at some time. Yes. yes, it's a bit annoying and it still happens. I mean, it's I, I'm a grown woman and I still get asked those questions all the time. So Yeah, and it's crazy because when, you know, when you introduce yourself, you said you felt more like you're from New Ray than anywhere, you know, yeah. and, and that's the first thing people question just off your appearance when it's like so integral to who you are. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, Michaela, what about you? I just have to say I relate to some of what Amanda was saying, um, especially when it comes to like the where are you from question, because I feel like I've gotten that so often, you know, like meeting new people all the time, especially in New York, um, where people would be like, oh, where are you from? And I would literally say to them, like, oh, are you asking where I'm like where I was originally born or where like I where my family lives? And they'll be like, what race are you? And I'm like, I'm South Korean. But like for me, it's always like a, a question I need to clarify because I'm like, what are you exactly asking me? Um, so that's been something that kind of stands out. But um, I think overall, um, like how I but I mentioned before about how a lot of my experiences have actually been kind of positive just because of my upbringing, even though I was, you know, put in a community where there wasn't a lot of diversity, I felt like I kind of molded and meshed into that community and it was mostly positive for me. But I will say it almost kind of um, blurred out my view of like my culture and of me because it almost made me feel like I really was different at times. Like, oh, when my when my classmates growing up would make comments that they probably in my head, I was like, they didn't mean to say that or they didn't mean to ask that. But well, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, that was really offensive. Like when they asked me, like, oh, why don't your like why aren't your eyes bigger? Or, you know, like um, like your skin color is like yellow, like, you know, just those things that you look back on, um, that really did stand out to me now that I think about it. Um, and obviously like we were all so young and growing up with like white classmates and students in my class, like obviously they're going to be curious about that. Um, so I think I kind of had to overcome getting offended to those questions right away and instead just answering them and, um, and, you know, just trying to like answer them and be, you know, mindful of like, this is something that you probably shouldn't say to someone, but that was really hard for me, like growing up and having to do that when you're so young. And um, I, when I played sports, when I worked part time at different places, um, I felt like I was just always being surrounded with the same types of people. Um, so I just think like overall, just being different in the community that I was in was probably the most difficult obstacle. Um, but it kind of helped prep me for, you know, now that I'm older and I've grown from that, I really see um, that it doesn't really phase me as much because because I see it as, you know, I don't, I can go to an area where, you know, uh, there's only one of me and uh, like, you know, I, I'm surrounded by a different community of people and I, I don't pay attention to that necessarily. It's not the first thing that comes up in my head. So um, I think just learning to kind of um, rise above all of that, you know, and make people well aware of, uh, of who they're surrounded by. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And one of my questions was actually, you know, have you, were you bullied? Were there kids that did some bullying because you were different and they didn't quite understand, you know, number one, that our uniqueness is what makes us all special. And number two, we're not all made alike, but number three, kindness goes a long way. So like looking back, you know, if you could tell those 
young children, because there may be young children that may watch this podcast or parents that have young children and could do things differently or uh, educate their children, um, you know, on, on a similar um, things that they may experience. So what advice would you give to people, um, children, adults that have children um, that may be curious and could ask in a kind way? Yeah, totally. And um, I think that when I was younger, I didn't really, I feel like it wasn't like, I look back on it and I don't think it was necessarily bullying. I just think it was them just being so unaware. Um, and so I think there's definitely different ways to phrase questions and everything. And I actually have a, um, one of my cousins who lives in Canada, she does, um, she builds orphanages over in Africa and she's adopted a lot of her kids. And I remember when I first went to their house and met their kids, um, one of the little kids was like, you're from China. China. And instantly, you know, my cousin Christine, like made sure to correct her, um, her son. And she, you know, made sure to be like, Oh, like, let's look at a map. Like Michaela's not from China, like Michaela's from South Korea. And she really like took the time to pinpoint this and make them learn from that. Um, to where, you know, her son then adapted and was, you know, learned from where I live. And she was like, even though people can look similar, um, they can still be from different places. And so I just think, people should be taking the time just to even hold kids accountable in a way that they can understand it at least. Um, but I think seeing that becomes a lot more, I guess, meaningful because, you know, seeing that someone is taking the time to go over that with their child or even with someone that they know, like, I think that is important. Yeah, I like what you said there. And it's, I, I love hearing this because, you know, for example, being a member of the African-American community, people just assume you've been, in United States for you know however long, whatever however long your ancestors were here or bought over. But I've noticed that and you know with my Asian American friends or Hispanic and Latino friends, they always they I've never experienced this, but they always have to affirm you know where they're from, you know, and that to me is just like yeah, it would be tiring. Um, and they always approach it with grace, like I said, because they've probably been doing it for so long. Um, but that's just something I've never experienced. So it's it's always interesting to hear, you know, that that a lot of Americans have to go through that. And it's just a part, uh, it's been a part of their experience for a really long time, especially uh, for you, Amanda, <laughs> somewhere in Luray, where it just, that that is few and far between. So, it, you know, um, but then you go to New York City and you, you feel more comfortable. Um, so it's, it's just weird how all that stuff plays out. Um, all right, Lizzie, what about you? Okay, hello. Um, like Amanda, like once again, I am from Luray. Um, it's a very rural area with a predominantly white population. Um, growing up half Chinese and half white, so being mixed definitely caused like a lot of insecurities growing up. Um, to my peers, I was just like, Chinese, I was just Asian. Um, I think like growing up like in elementary school around like young kids who hear things from their parents, similar to like what you guys were talking about before. Um, I've had like um, students like my age in elementary school come up and say like hurtful things to me. I think my first experience with a slur was in the fifth grade, a little boy called me um, a chink which was um, kind of shocking because like as a fifth grader, like I didn't even know what that word was, you know? Um, 
but like continuing to grow up, like I had white friends my entire life and I love them, but like being like an athlete, um, playing through sports and being a part of like a white community, you realize like the microaggressions constantly being thrown at you. Um, like talking about like food and like your eyes or like going to eat a cat or like just like very like immature things like that. Um, even in high school, even though it's like 2022, um, you still have like kids and students who are very, um, you know, racist <laughs> to say the least. Um, but it's like really hard to like understand like why they are the way they are. But I think it's because like being in a rural area and I think it's all like generational. So like hate, I think builds off hate. So when you have parents that teach you these things, teach like children these things, I mean, it they just like, you know, <laughs> reflects that. But I am, I would say that I am lucky um, that my dad had always tried to incorporate my, our heritage, our culture into mine and my sister's lives. Um, we would celebrate Chinese New Year with my family and everything like that. But I still felt a disconnect growing up and living in a predominantly white area, um, not being able to speak my native language, not being able to write Chinese. And I, for a while, like um, in high school, I felt almost ashamed for disappointing my father. I felt like I disappointed him, even though he said I said we didn't, um, for not wanting to participate in my culture as much, wanting to fit in, assimilate to the white culture, assimilate to what my white friends were doing um, and everything like that. So I definitely, I think it growing up in a rural area is like a very difficult thing for a person of color in general because kids just aren't, and just people aren't taught to have like an open mind. And I think it's something that is definitely, that needs to be worked on, even though it's very deeply rooted. Um, but yeah, this experience um, is very ongoing for me. It's something, a, a journey that I'm still working on and trying to come to terms with. So thank you for letting me share. Thanks for your vulnerability. Yeah, I mean, that... The duality of that just sounds like to to to, to figure that out, and then especially uh, on the go, you know, and then dealing with all as you're growing up, dealing with that constantly and constantly, you kind of experience it socially, and then you experience it, you know, at home as well. Um, and I I just can't imagine having to deal with that. And I like you said, it still seems to be an ongoing thing for you. But when um, I will say that when um, Carrie uh, gave me your contact information. She just spoke so highly of you, of just how resilient you were and how like you, what you just talked about was just so much a part of your journey. And I think she shared, you shared that with her um, at some point in high school. And she just said, you know, the, it was just very emotional for even her to hear. But so I think to, I say a lot to say, it's like, I think, you know, sometimes people go through things to be um, a leader or, 
um, you know, uh, an example of, of resilience for people. And it, it kind of sucks that it has to be that way sometimes. But um, if people are up for the task, it, it just can be a, a sort of a beacon of light um, in a dark area. Yeah, and I I will add um, that I I kind of resonate with um, with all three of you gals. Um, I am African American, and my mom is Caucasian, crystal blue eyes, blonde hair. Uh, but because of my eyes uh, and the shapes of my eyes, people will often say, "Are you Chinese? Are you are you Spanish?" are you and and it's it is um or they'll say what are you so i got to the point where i would say well i'm human i'm a mom <laughs> you know i bleed red you know and then they get the you know the gist of it but um it it i can't imagine um you know the the things that that are just so hurtful and i think other people don't understand that um Generational wise, we can have these as educational opportunities to keep keep our kids informed and educated. Um, so thank you all for being vulnerable. And I think that your stories will help others. Um, this is a great segue into our next question, which is how do you think businesses and communities as a whole can build an atmosphere that's more inclusive and welcoming of everyone. And we'll start with you, Amanda. Okay, I am an educator. Um, I'm a teacher. So I think it all starts with knowing, being educated about our differences, learning from each other. I wholeheartedly believe if you know better, you will do better. So as a mom and an early childhood educator, I think we need to teach our children better. We need to educate them on history, what has happened in the past, um, what is still happening now. Uh, we just, we need to educate ourselves, our friends, our peers, our uh, employees, our coworkers, we need to, to know better and do better. Thank you. So well said. How about for you, Michaela? And picking, piggybacking off of that as well to Amanda, um, I think it's just, you know, holding everyone accountable too, whether it's in the community, in your workplace. Um, actually, right before this call, I got off a call with my company because we've been doing implicit bias training and diversity training at our company. Um, they're a New York City-based company, um, but we... Um, we have a diverse crew of people and they're really trying their best to make sure that, you know, they're covering topics like this, which I, I do appreciate. Um, and it's led once a quarter. And it's really cool because we go over um, we go over scenarios in the workplace where someone might find themselves in a comfortable, uncomfortable situation or they don't don't know how to approach someone that might have used the, the wrong pronoun or something. And I think it's great because even if we can't even if someone can't necessarily relate to a part of the training, I think that 
there is, you know, it's helpful as a reminder if you're ever dealing with a similar situation and um, it really teaches you how to um, how to respond in the correct way so that you're not offending anyone. And I just think that um, going over that and, and with this call, they make sure that all of our company tunes in and, and is on this call. So it's not necessarily even an option. And I think that is also important, too, is for companies and for businesses to really take accountability in that area instead of just saying, oh, we're going to hire a few diverse people. Well, make sure you have diversity in your leadership teams and make sure that everyone's sharing their perspectives so you're not, you know, just follow, following one mold. So I just think that um, being able to be a part of a company that is trying to do that, I think is really cool to see. And I'm hoping that other companies and um, and other, you know, and um, other communities uh, end up being like that in the future. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. All right, Lizzie Chu. All right, um, kind of also going off of like what Amanda was saying, I think like like being educated is the most important thing about like starting this step. Um, I think that I, especially in rural areas, it's important just to ask everyone to listen and to show compassion. Um, I think like a lot of these ideologies of like rural people are deeply rooted, like I had said before. Um, but I think it's important for people to just continue advocating for um, people of color and just um, minorities in general. And I think um, that also um, administration and having administration and teachers that are um, welcoming and supportive of all students is also very helpful. Like um, Gabriel was saying, Miss Campbell, Miss Carrie Campbell, she was a teacher that had a really big, big impact on my life. Um, and just having teachers like that just can make um, minorities' experiences a whole lot better in general. Um, I think for the community, I think that just to listen mainly, and I think having programs like the Rec Center and Lou Ray um, for children is like super important as well. Um, yeah, I just think keeping, uh, having like educated people, having compassionate people in a community is what everyone needs, so. Oh, thank you. And I just wanted to ask one more question, if I may. I know there's a lot in the media about attacks on uh, Pacific, Pacific Islander uh, or Americans. Um, you know, what do you think some of the stereotypes are and how can we avoid those kind of attacks? Because I think people are very um, malice and um, I mean, just it's just it's unusual to me the amount of attacks that are happening on Asian American uh, community members. It, it blows my mind. I don't know where it has come from or what the misconceptions are but it's brutal. I, I think it's awful and brutal as well. And I know that with COVID, I heard a lot of that too. Um, joking, but still it's not. Joking is still hurtful. Um, so, I know that a lot of it has come from COVID being, you know, 
an Asian sickness is, is what, what I had heard about it. And it's, it's just snowballed from there, I feel like. Um, And then people will jump on a bandwagon if they think something is funny or they want to be hurtful. They hear one person do it and then it just starts a snowball effect. So I think a lot of that hurt has come from, from COVID. Thank you for that. How about Michaela, you or Lizzie? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I totally agree. I just, I I think a lot, I heard a lot about it from COVID as well too, which is really difficult to hear because it's, it's a lot of people, you know, just saying it, not even realizing their words can be hurtful. And it's, what's crazy to me too, is that people are targeting the whole community. And it's like, yes, we're a community with similar background, but we're also completely different. We're like our own person. So for someone to make that assumption um, and come out at a whole group of people is like you said, mind blowing. Like it's so crazy to just even think about it. And I'm so thankful that like, I haven't had to deal with it like a in-person interaction, but I don't know how I would feel about that. I would just feel so in shock, you know? Thank you. Um, yeah, I definitely agree that um, the rise of Asian hate crimes happened at the start of the pandemic with the coronavirus. Um, I think like a big part of it also was when you have public leaders um, saying things like China virus or Kung flu, I think that generalization, when you have people on social media you don't have to be educated to have social media. And I think that definitely caused a spiral of hate and attacks and everything. Um, Yeah, I also think, um, sorry. Yeah, so I think when you have uneducated people making assumptions about an entire ethnic group, and blaming an entire ethnic group for a pandemic is very harmful. And like I said, having public leaders also do that is super harmful. I'm, you know, I'm definitely disappointed um, with the way, you know, things weird their ugly head throughout the, the pandemic. I was hoping that, you know, it'd be a time for us as a nation to come together. You know, I talked about the melting pot before, but it seems like we still have a um, a long way to go in certain areas. But on a positive note, like I said, I, I I think just I mean, hearing everyone's stories, there's so many similarities, um, and there's also just so many differences. It, it confirms the fact that we have more in common, and it also confirms the fact that not everyone's the same. Which I feel like both of those two things are often um, not not taken seriously or 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 put into a stereotype. Um, but I'm just so glad that I could hear all the different perspectives. Um, and it was really an eye-opening conversation Conversation for me. Um, you always think you know people's experiences, but hearing more and more, it just, it's so important. And I'm, that's why I'm glad that we could have this discussion. Um, and Tina, if you want to say anything else, any, any final thoughts from you? Um, no final thoughts. I want to thank you guys for being brave and being vulnerable, sharing your stories, helping us help people uh, learn more about the different experiences um, within your community. And 
I really, really think that people will see the humanistic. Sometimes people are desensitized. You hear things so much, you're like, that can't be true. That can't be true. Um, but I think that this brings some um, some some reality to um, your stories and your feelings. And I think it will um, t touch persons of all different communities. And this is um, one of many podcast um, series that we've done. And I think that this has been one that has uh, given me great concern, but a lot of hope because I know that we have leaders, young women, <laughs> leaders that are going to tackle the issues that are going to be uh, vocal and proactive. So I am very hopeful. So thank you again. I think the best leadership is leading by example. And I think all three of you do that. And I think that's the best thing we can hope for better than any other policy or politician to do that for us. I think it takes good people to make good changes. And I think you guys are all that. Um, but yeah, I, so I kind of want to wrap things up. Um, I just want to thank you guys for sharing once again. This has been amazing. I can't wait to add this to this podcast series and for people to hear this. I want to remind all of our listeners that you can find previous podcasts and stay on the lookout for upcoming podcasts. Um, if you want to go to nwprevention.org, you can find links to our social media um, and you can go from there. So once again, thank you. This is My Story Weaves Our Story, and we will see you all next time.